0: Ledger is a writing podcast that you're listening to right this very second. My name is Austin Wilson. Welcome to the show. Our first official interview for Ledger. And as you can tell by the title, it's with author Erica Swyler. I, I actually had a chance to chat with Erica once before for my website, uh, a quote unquote print interview. Uh, if you go to AustinRWilson.com/slash nonfiction, Uh, or just go to austinrwilson.com and click on the nonfiction tab at the top you can find that among other interviews that I've done. Um, Give that a read it's about her novel The Light from Other Stars kind of spoilery so heads up there if you haven't read it yet you might read some things that maybe give some stuff away. I tried to avoid that as much as I could but uh, pretty proud of the interview. I I thought it was a lot of fun and I really like chatting with Erica so much so that I asked her to be the first guest of the show worked out amazingly. Uh, I was super happy to have her. We talk about her writing process on the the book she's working on currently, um, just general writing process, uh, you know what it means to sit down and try to put words on a page. Uh, we talk about the secret novel that she wrote. Don't tell anybody. Um, we also talk about video games, books, all kinds of other amazing things. Uh, so give it a listen. Uh, this is on this podcast will be able to be downloaded everywhere you can possibly download it. So. Uh, you know like it subscribe it tell people about it all those kinds of things um so that more people can hear it and i can get a chance to interview more people uh thank you again to erica for stopping by it was awesome chatting uh, i really hope you guys like the episode uh so yeah here it is Welcome uh, to, to Ledger, chatting with uh, Erica Swyler here. Erica, super happy to have you on. Uh, we have talked before for for my website. We did a, a print, so to speak, interview, um, which I was super happy to do. But now I'm, I'm thrilled to have you as the inaugural guest uh, on Ledger, this this writing podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is a delight. I had uh, such a good time chatting with you in, in print, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. And it's just great to get to talk with
0: you. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, I read your, uh, your book light from other stars and fell in love with it immediately. Um, it was on a list of, of stuff that I really wanted to buy and, uh, I wanted to get it from a bookstore. So I got a chance to, to, I found it at a, at Harvard bookstore, uh, on a trip, actually I was on a vacation uh, and I found it there. That was one of the ones along with a James Tiptree collection, uh, that I, the, it's funny, you know, I buy books and I'll have those stories attached to them. So now I, when I see your book, I remember that trip and that's a big part of going to bookstores for me. So. Oh, I'm that. Yeah, okay. that's I my friends I have a few a few friends who kind of rib me every once in a while. They're like, You could just order that online, dude. And I'm like, well, Yeah, I know I could, but one, I wanna support bookstores. But then two, you know, you have all these layers to when you buy the book, so absolutely
1: like a physical book is such there's there's history to it there's story to it there's you know and it, my i guess one of my my first editor would say you know the best thing to do when you go to a new city is find the indie bookstore and, yes. go there and you learn about the city you learn about the people just because you you read and you see what they're reading so i support you in that i support indies that way and I think it's cool that you you know, you wind up pairing authors that you wouldn't necessarily think of otherwise because it was that trip, it was that memory. It's, right. it's the way stuff's supposed to work.
0: Right. Do you have a favorite indie bookstore that you go to?
1: Oh goodness. Well I'm actually so Long Island is is a very strange place in the sense that there are a bunch of bookstores clustered in towards New York City and then a bunch out way in the end towards the Hamptons. So I'm smack in the middle. So anytime a new indie opens, I'm very excited. Um, Theodore's Books is about to open in Oyster Bay and I'm going to do a reading for them, I believe, on the December 11th. And I'm so excited about that. So here to support Theodore's Books in Oyster Bay.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I try to do the same. Um, I'm in Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. Independent bookstores are a little bit more scattered yeah. <laughs> in this uh, in this state, so I kind of have to search. But there's some in Michigan. I really love going to Literati in in, in Ann Arbor. Um, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful store. It's you. It's one of those places you can walk in and immediately you're just like, oh my gosh, this place feels it feels magical. Exactly.
1: Um, they have so. a really great online presence too. I'm not yes. sure who's running their social media, but they're doing a bang up job. Like I know about them and I'm very far away.
0: <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. Good on them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, writing uh, as you know, you're here to talk about uh, process and, and kind of the way that you get to the page and what you do while you're there. And the big important question I'm going to try to ask everyone, because I want to try to interview writers of all types from all over the world um, what's the very first thing that you do when you start with a story? In your case, uh, you've written two novels. Yep. Um, so let's say you have an idea. Some part of you already is is kind of sold on the idea that it's going to be a novel. It's going to be a long form story. What's the very first thing that you do? How do you start?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so I am like the world's slowest writer by, by that. I mean, um, it takes me a very long time before I even put anything on the page. Like the project I'm working on right now, I would say I've been thinking about for five years before I ever put a single word down. So Yeah, um, I saw
0: that in your, in your newsletter. I have some yeah. questions about some of that stuff.
1: Sure. So it takes me a really long time to sort of figure out where I want to collect all my information from, what I want to pull from, and just the sound of what a, a character voice is going to be like. So by the time I sit down to write a first page or something, um, I would say, you know, ten or twenty pages come out all at once just because it's a giant brain dump. So the very first thing I do is usually start with just, um, and it's strange because a lot of my my novels don't necessarily start this way, but um, I usually start with a bit of dialogue just so I can be in that character voice right away, and um, I kind of it all sort of unwinds from there and this again it's a giant brain dump at first but, right. um i am not an outliner i wish i was i feel like it would take me a lot less time to write if i was an outliner but um generally i just kind of go where the the itch takes me so how i start is thinking for five years and then <laughs> vomiting a bunch out at once <laughs>
0: So does that mean you've tried to outline before and, and not found it uh, successful, or you, you just know that you aren't that kind of person?
1: I have tried outlining. Um, outlining for me sometimes works with essays, but uh, definitely not in fiction. Um, I will outline a story, and then I will get to the first two bullet points and then throw it out. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I, my brain wants to take a wild left and just ignore that. Um, I think for me, outlining kind of closes me off to possibility as opposed to opening up, which it does for other people. So it's, again, if I could stick to an outline, boy, would I be a faster writer, but I'm not.
0: I'm right there with you. I've tried to outline many times and it always feels like I'm writing around the story rather than actually just starting.
1: Yeah, I think um, for some people it's such a great key in. Um, I remember talking with Benjamin Ludwig about his book Jenny Moon, and he outlined and he outlined successfully, and it worked really well for him. And he didn't feel like you were missing anything or it could have gone elsewhere. I've tried when I try to follow that process, I just I hit a wall real fast because right. I, I feel like I've closed myself off from the weirdness that I do well. So if it does work for you, you know, absolutely dig in, do it like that's how Um, it doesn't don't shame yourself for sure, because your brain just doesn't work that way.
0: So do you do anything that's like outline adjacent? Do you have like notebooks that you're keeping or or ideas that you'll you'll jot down or is it literally you're you're putting prose on a page?
1: Yeah, um, I do kind of a little bit of everything. I have notebooks where I will draft chapters and then those chapters never get used. So I just have like a lot, a lot of notes all over the place, completely out of order. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Very
1: disorganized. Um, I do stop and write sentences down every now and then um, when I have a mess of a draft, I then go through. And I guess I would say after I have a draft, I often outline just to see where it goes you know the order to put it in. What makes sense? Um, what what should unfold logically? Right. So um, yeah, I guess I outline after the fact. Maybe Oh, that's what I do.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you, you mentioned being disorganized. Um, while I was reading, you know, all of your work getting ready for the interview, I came across an essay that you wrote uh, for Lit Hub, uh, oh, and it's yeah. called. Are we running out of monster metaphors for the real world? Everyone should go read it. Uh, it's a good. Uh, it's a good essay. And but from our last conversation, I already knew you're a huge Godzilla fan. You know, we're yeah. both we both love Godzilla and and monsters in general. But you said one thing in there um, about how loving monsters is really a love of chaos.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And there was a part of my brain that was like. I wonder if that applies to writing for us or for you, for, for anyone who writes, Mm -hmm. if you're like, I want to write something long, do you have to be ready to kind of just wrestle with the chaos? Even if you are a, an outliner?
1: Absolutely. I think, um, I think outlining is probably a way to try and organize some of the chaos, which is necessary because at a certain point, if you don't, your novel will be 5,000 pages long and unreadable. But, um, yeah, I think the process of writing a novel for is trying to answer a question, and none of the really important questions have straightforward answers. So um, you have to kind of just dive in knowing you're going to go somewhere unexpected and be and be ready for that. I know a for lot sure. of writers talk about characters you know, having their own voice and wanting to do their own thing counter to what the writer wants done. And that is sort of true because um, you know if you're following something naturally, it should do the unexpected because that's what life does. So, you know, right, you, you have to be open to that chaos. So yeah, novel writing is embracing the chaos, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I mean, it's, I don't, it's maybe not the the best comparison to call writing monsters. Uh, oh, wait, to you no. know, take it back to your essay, but I mean, <laughs> you do, you are, at least in my experience, you know, you have those days where you're terrified of what you're doing you don't know where you're going so i feel
1: like if you're not a little bit afraid of your project you're not invested enough
0: (laughs) i've read that and and heard other people say that too yeah i i I kind of it scares me to agree but i think uh, i have to because pushing yourself and and really like trying to find this find a story that's that's not going to be like the easiest thing you can write yeah there's fear in that
1: I think we're all trying to get at our, our tender little human bits. And that's scary. It, it should be, you know. Right. Um, otherwise, you're, you're just sort of writing formula. And that's, you know, that that's sellable. That's good in some ways. Um, but it's not necessarily fulfill, fulfilling. And that should be the goal of, you know, of what you're writing. So,
0: Do you think that's one of the things that you you called yourself a slow writer? Do you think that's something that makes you slow? Or, um You do?
1: Mm-hmm absolutely. Um, I, because when I'm writing, um, I kind of pull from everything around me, everything I'm thinking about. So it's like world stuff, whatever I'm reading, things that are, that are happening to people I know and love, you know, and it's essentially, um, me trying to make sense of a period in life. Um, so that's going to take time. And, um, as with any, you know project that you really care about you you change as you're working on it so um i have to kind of you know assess who is writing this book now who was writing it at the beginning who's writing it at the end and how do we mesh that into some kind of uniform thing right so yeah that that is part of why it, it takes time just because i i like to reflect and um I get a little concerned um, sometimes with the speed of the industry that everybody wants um, a hot take. Now um, I think that that's not necessarily great for, for, you know, careful and nuanced thought. And right. I, when I finish a product, I want it, I want it to show that a lot of thought and, and heart went into it. And, um, I'm, you know, I can't do that quickly. Wish I could, but I can't.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think having, you know, best selling authors out there who are like oh they write a book a year or they write a book every 6 months and i mean
1: god bless them they keep w- the industry alive <laughs> right
0: right well it's i don't it's such a i i find i'm so conflicted with stuff like that because at least for me you know if someone's putting out a book every 6 months the 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 dice roll of of whether or not each each of those books is going to stick with me it, it, i don't know it just seems like a lower po- uh, probability that I, i'm going to read a book every single 6 months from an author and be like yep that's another great one um, I think
1: it's just, it's a different type of, it's a different type of art. It's a different, you know, type of form. Yeah. If you're, you know, when you're working within genre and a lot of people have a lot of terrible things to say about genre and to them, right. I say, read more, read more, read widely. Yep. It serves a purpose and it's amazing. And um, I think it's, you know, whether you can approach, you can approach writing as a business, you should, if at all possible, approach writing as a business. Right. And um, that allows you a sort of freedom to just, okay, I'm going to pick at this type of thing that takes X amount of time. I can schedule it. And that is, that is an art. <laughs>
0: which oh yeah.
1: I do not possess.
0: Me either.
1: And, and um, I think, you know, you don't expect um, from serialized television, the same thing that you expect from an art house film, nor should you, but they right. both have equal value. And I think um, that gets a lot lost a lot. And, you know, the conversation around literature. So I very much envy the art that I can't make. <laughs> I sort right. of think um, a lot of people who are able to, you know, do a book a year also envy the fact that some of us take 10 years to write a book and we don't feel pressure about it. <laughs> like, right. We are all, you know, envying these things about each other. So. Well, I yeah. like, you know, I, I do enjoy those, th- those sort of, you know, um, book a year, like there's a new thriller from someone every year, like, I love that form as a, I can expect these tropes, they do a thing for me and I'm still really engaged with them, but man, I can't do it.
0: (laughs) Right. No, I mean, just the, the constant churning of ideas and, Mm -hmm. and I mean, within the world of comic books, if you're writing a a monthly book that's coming out every single month, um, I know how much work that is. So the idea of putting out a monthly oh, book, enormous. or it, there's so much, it's it's just a crazy amount of writing. Um, but in your yeah. uh, in your newsletter, a
1: focus I lack.
0: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard. Um, in your newsletter, which is called At the Turn of the Tide, everyone should go check that out. It's on Erica's website. You can subscribe there. Um, you you do talk about your uh, the most recent uh, issue. You talk about the the current book you're working on, mm-hmm. and that it was came from a dream but it had to percolate into something that was that was kind of worth writing um i really am curious what that percolation process is we've we've talked a little bit about it already but and you even said you know while you were writing light from other stars you were still kind of percolating this idea what's that what's that like for you
1: um so i tend to get and this is weird because it's it's sort of You know, it's not necessarily how the process works for everybody, but I sort of get, you know, a grand idea in about like 30 seconds or so. I'll get a grand flash of inspiration and something will feel very complete. But then I think about it for a little bit and it doesn't, you know, there's not enough meat there to tell a story. Right. And I think about, okay, well, why does that feel inspiring? What is what is the thing um, that I want to pick apart? And for this case, it was, it's around artificial intelligence and the way people view artificial intelligence, which in this society is pretty negative right now. Yep. So then I start picking apart with that. Well, why do we feel negatively about it? So I picked that apart a little more and there's a lot, you know, a lot of reading goes into that. Um, I guess there was an essay, a story by Alex Marr uh, a while back about um, artificial intelligence and um, chatbots and, and whatnot that was really interesting and sort of got at what I was thinking about getting at. So, you know, that kind of reading goes into it. And it's just like gently looking for other people who are kind of playing in this world that I want to play with and figure out what's intriguing me about their takes. And from then on, it kind of builds. Um, I would also say I was everything I'm reading at the time goes into that. And I was noticing yeah. that there were very few books that featured women over 60 in main roles <laughs> so yeah. I was thinking, okay, well, why is that? Because these are women who always have interesting things to say. So, you know, it, things kind of add on. So, by the time I was done with Light from Other Stars, I had a whole lot of just steam built up, I would say. And yeah. then I just kind of had to, you know, put a bunch of that down. And um, it doesn't really come out for me until I have a character voice settled on. And because I'm working with AI in that, um, it took a really long time because um, I tend to not really connect with a lot of tropes for how we write artificial intelligence and robots and whatnot. Like um, a pet peeve for me is when they don't speak when they speak without contractions. Yes. Because a contraction (laughs) is like the easiest thing that you can program into anything you know there are far more complex things about human behavior than the use of contractions right so if you can get all the way to have artificial intelligence or some sort of (laughs) sentience like you know if we pass singularity contractions are not the
0: problem (laughs) (laughs) they're like you guys are wasting time with all these contractions
1: exactly so it's it's a trope i don't like so i had to figure out well what doesn't work for me what does how, how do i work around that So, um, yeah, that's part of why it takes so long to write. And that's a lot of what the process was about, just collecting little things. Um, When I'm talking about this book right now, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about their works in progress. But um, for me, the final thing never resembles anything that I'm talking about. So it's not really Harmful to me, but I want to say that this started out. I was going to write some sort of light, fun romance novel, and now it's become Blade Runner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's sort of the insight into how my brain works. I start one way, and it just goes way left. And this is why outlines don't work for me.
0: Well, I mean that's a that's a pretty amazing percolation process. Yeah. um I mean I, I love both of those things. So finding where they meet um, exactly. is definitely yeah. a cool a cool concept.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's sort of just how um, things work for me. I I am an omnivorous reader, so for me, at the end of this draft, like maybe no one else will still see the romance in it. Who knows? But I'll know it's there. I'll yeah. know where it came from.
0: So. <laughs> and did you see? Um, it's pretty recent. I think it just came out last month or the month before. It's called AI Twenty Forty One.
1: No, I haven't.
0: Oh, so it's uh, co-written um, by Kai Fu Li and Chen Q Fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chen Q Fan wrote a book called Waste Tide. Um, and it's uh, Kai Fu Lee is a, an AI researcher who wants to do the th- like talk about AI in these realistic ways instead of all of these negative ways. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Chin Q Fan takes whatever concept for each one of the co- uh, chapters and writes a fictional story around like. Taking these concepts for what AI might look like in the year twenty forty one. I've only read the intro and a little bit of uh, the beginning, but it's just such an incredibly cool concept. I think you would probably dig it based on the stuff you just said.
1: Oh yeah, sounds sounds very much my thing. Yeah, <laughs> Check it out. thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that that process of of starting with a concept and then sort of thinking about it for for years mm-hmm. or ho- or however long do you do any writing throughout that process? Uh, Like, because you were in your newsletter, you said you were writing light from other stars at the same time. Can you do two projects at once at any point through them? You can.
1: Yeah. I think it's actually pretty healthy too, because there are always days when you just can't look at, you know, your main project, right. You know, it just, you wake up in the morning and go, Nope, can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, it's nice to have something else to go to. And, um, I th- I've spit out a real fast and ugly draft of this while um, light from other stars was on submission to, to editors. And I mean, I can barely read it. It's really it's, <laughs> it's terrible. You know, I have like the same incident told six different times. And yeah. I don't think anyone would want to wanna pick their way through that, but um, you know, it was, it was important to have a first attempt. And I feel like, by the time I have what I would call um, a working draft, which is something that sort of looks and feels like it could eventually be a book. Yeah. Um, I will have done five or six other attempts, starts, middles that don't have beginnings or endings, endings that don't connect with anything else. You know, it's um, it is again, very chaotic, but I sort of, um, that's sort of how I like to assemble things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, again, I, when I, when I talk about my books, I, they're often hard to explain. So I say that, you know, they're like life. It's difficult to explain, but easy to get. Yeah. And that's sort of how I feel about my writing process. You know, it's it's stuff that has to be spit out, and some of it will survive. Most of it won't. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. So, yeah, I'm usually writing a little – I'm tinkering with something while I'm working on a main project.
0: So for, for something like um, Light from Other Stars uh, – like, let's say the first page. Um, yeah. Can you, do you have have like a sort of a roadmap in your mind from where it came from? Like, is that at some point you're like, okay, this is the opening. I'm going to, this is the, the opening of the book. Um, uh, or do you always know what the opening is going to be?
1: Uh, no, I don't always know what the opening is going to be. Um, w- with that one in particular, because I knew at some point I had to work with, two timelines and I knew that, um, essentially I was going to spoil the book intentionally. Right. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to do that in a way that was going to be, um, you wouldn't necessarily know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say that beginning page didn't come ar- come out until I would say maybe my second or third draft. I realized oh, wow. that that was going to be in. So um, I had initially started just in 1986 and left it there. Um, And then I realized that I needed to, I needed a better sense of structure and um, I wanted to tease the reader a little bit and also communicate what would be okay and what would not be okay. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that sort of structure and organization comes out, um, much later for me than it might for a lot of writers because it's not necessarily key to me getting a story out. Yeah. Um, I kind of think of stories like giant knots of yarn as opposed to anything organized like you pull on one loop and it either tightens or loosens, who knows? So, um, yeah, that came out midway through, I would say.
0: So, how do, what's the organization process look like for you? Uh, like, what are you actually are you keeping note cards? Do you have... A cork board? Or is there so any I know system? a
1: lot of, yeah, there is, weirdly enough. Um, I know a lot of people use Scrivener for this. I but, do, yep. um, I'm here, yep, I'm here to tell you that if you don't have Scrivener and you don't want to buy it, but you have Word. Word works almost exactly the same way. You just have to know its better functions. Yeah. I used to be a secretary, so I was much more familiar with Word than a lot of other people. So um, I use... A, I Basically, every section I write, I put a header on, and then I use the navigation page, and you can just slide them around. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do. I basically make each section almost its own little index card, and I just slide it around the navigation page. Um, I title them something so that you know, that makes sense to me. So I know what it is. Like it might be, and it is giant rants. So my my brain knows what that's called, even though that's never going to appear in the draft. Um, From light from other stars, I actually, the titles that I did use in that um, did wind up staying for for the final product, just because um, I titled it. So I knew what kind of time I was writing about. And then I could organize the vignettes and the chapters by what time people were experiencing when. Okay. And again, this makes sense when you're reading the book, but it's very strange (laughs) when you're talking about in abstract. But, like, you know, um, I guess there's protraction. um, Of course, now I can't think of anything. One is the speed of light. um, One is time dilation. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Um, as far as the rhythm of reading and when I wanted breaks. So that was um, easy to organize in that sense. Uh, this one, is, the one that I'm working on now is a little bit hairier, but um, I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's fun to be able to just slide things around in the frame. It is. But basically, um, yeah, when I'm writing, it's mostly just whatever comes out that day until I need to assemble it into a bookline form and booklike form. and then I uh, work a little more linearly
0: cool yeah that makes sense yeah and so you said you are you're sliding stuff around in in word
1: yeah in word um if you basically if you put a little heading on your chapter and you use a styles feature and you just put heading one if you and highlight that so that's what your your title is for that chapter and click over on the navigation page pane all of their sections show up just their titles and you can just move them around like you would in scrivener that's awesome yeah it's pretty it's it's but the second I realized you could do that, I was like, oh, this is amazing.
0: This is how I work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which they, uh, the, that company, Literature and Latte, they just put out this thing called Scapple, which yep. I've been using that to try my hand at another form of outlining. Since I know I can't do the bullets, I'm just like, maybe this web thing will work.
1: Whatever works. Yeah, I think that used to be called the snowflake method or something. And I've tried every method that everyone tries. And I'm like, this is great for about 30 seconds. And then I get stuck. So basically, I just have to kind of do this almost old school thing. And I think that's fun. I mean, um, you know, whatever works for people. Right. totally don't care. Some people are complete devotees of Scrivener. Um, But I also edit by hand. So I think I work a little differently than than a lot of people who are solely on the screen.
0: So you'll, you'll print it out?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I just hit print the other day and I started um, reading through and editing and putting stickies all over the place. Yeah, um, that's on my Instagram, actually. But uh, yeah, it helps me to visually see that I'm working um, to have an actual reminder of like, yes, you have put a significant amount of time into that and so like having that chunk of pages there is really useful um and it's nicer to have a document that i don't have to keep deleting comments on right you know so i have i have my dirty thing one where and one place and my clean thing on the screen and right it's, that's good for me mentally and plus it's also fun to see all your notes i um i gave a reading once when i was um midway through light from other stars and i wanted to talk about process and i just read all of my stickies to myself you know instead of from the work and i think that might have i don't know if that was irritating or helpful to people but i had a great time because i'm quite mean to me
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh in your editing you're you're mean to yourself
1: Oh my gosh! Yes, by the time I get to um, by the time I get to an editor actually working on it with me, like there is nothing you can say to me that I haven't right. said to myself, but so much worse.
0: Right. So, is there one thing I notice? Uh, I'll reuse. Well, the word "just." I just love the word oh, yeah. "just." Is there anything like that where you're like, "Oh my gosh, why can oh, I not yeah. use another word?"
1: Um, a while ago, I, he may have had it as a pin post on Twitter. Uh, Bc Dreyer has um, Benjamin Dreyer, who wrote Dreyer's English and is the copy chief for Penguin Random had all these clean up your, the harp. What was it? The, he used a Marie Kondo phrase, the magic of tidying up your writing. And it was, you know, really only just, and it had this list of words. And so I go through, you know, when I'm finally cleaning up and just cut all those, you know, do a find, replace.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. It's, I've noticed that too. I will, I'll go through my stuff and, and, leave little mean notes for myself um, mm. i think maybe part of it is just to kind of blow off some steam oh, absolutely. Um, and you feel cath- a catharsis with being like all right idiot delete yep. this
1: exactly i think i just wrote a note to myself that was like blow this up you jerk <laughs> <laughs> and i mean it's nice but it's also it's playful and if you can if you can't tell yourself uh, you know gently that your your own writing stinks you're not a writer
0: right <laughs> No, yeah, and like you said, when you finally get to an editor, having the uh, the experience yeah. where they're just like they'll say something, you're like, okay, yeah, I like, I get it.
1: Yep. Totally. I think the only I, by the time someone says like you need to change your ending or or whatever it is, I think yep, sure, that's fine. I've been through it so many times that as long as the heart of the story is still there, and right. you know, the writing still sounds like me. I am open to changes. Let's just make this the best thing it can be.
0: Right? Yeah. So that's a, a really uh, a really important thing to think about because I th- I think there's you know there's so much. Writing advice out there, and you see things where people are like, Um, you know, fight for your story and but then they're also like, Murder your darlings, and uh, finding the yeah. balance between being like, Yes, let's look at this objectively mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try and find the best version of the story that we can. How do you like you said, the core of the story, how do you focus on on that? Is it really just a case by case thing? Or are you Do you know what the story needs to be and it's these certain things? Um,
1: I mean, I think that's where the idea of theme comes in, you know, where you you sit and think, well, why am I writing this particular thing? If an editor, um, which they won't, if they've, you know, if they're wholeheartedly in on your book, they're not going to touch this name because that's why they bought it. But, um, you know... I think for, for light from other stars, it had to be about fathers and daughters, mothers and daughters, feminism and progress. Right. And if any of that got compromised, I would have balked, you know, yeah. that's, that's not a thing. Um, and there are some things that are hard nosed. like, um, at one point there was a suggestion of, you know, an affair or a love triangle and, I didn't really know until that suggestion came up that no, I'm against that because that is always the plot that we give women and we can do better than that. So you don't always know until it, you know, until the question arises what you need to stick to, but it's usually more around theme than like, I stand by this sentence forever. (laughs) By the time you're done with a novel, you've written so many sentences. If you feel super precious about any one, Oh, you might have missed the point of your own book. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. I mean, the, there are so many sentences in the book. So to, to feel super connected to just one or two, um, obviously, you know, if there's something that's insanely story relevant, um, right. the idea of cutting it, uh, if it's a single sentence, there's got to be another way to, to get that yeah. across.
1: Though I will fight to the death over a swear word. Really? That is something I've learned about myself. Um, Because over the years, I've gotten messages from people that say, like, oh, lovely book, except for all the swearing. And I sort of feel like, how repressed are you? that You know, you can't, when you have a strong emotion, there are words you won't allow yourself to say. So for, for some things like that, you know, a swear is really necessary. And there is one very early on in Life from Other Stars that had to be there no matter what, because it makes people have a strong reaction and because it is so weird coming out of an 11 year old girl, a lot of people, it had to be that one, it had to be that way. And, you know, if there was going to be pushback over it, that would be something I would lean in for. But um, yeah, so I will fight over a word choice in that sense. But only if it's because for me, it has larger societal meaning. so so.
0: all that must That's uh, my little and that probably goes to dialogue then too would you fight for for dialogue if you've not even necessarily swear words but if you feel like dialogue is doing a lot of character uh like sort of carrying a lot of the character weight um is that something you'd fight for too um
1: i don't know i think i'm not so i'm not overly precious about dialogue because a lot of times it's um I mean, aside from when you're talking on podcasts, most of the time when we speak in real life, we're not really saying anything. Right. Like if you pay attention to your conversations with friends, most of them are, are empty, but you're talking because you want to be there with each other. And that emptiness is is the connection in a weird way. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily in fiction because, you know, we have X amount of space and you can convey things via, you know, scene and you can convey things in with surroundings that you can't in dialogue. So I'm not overly precious about dialogue unless it's, you know, unless it is supposed to be the action. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty flexible on that. Yeah. I'm a dream to edit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, you were talking a little bit about in, or in the, uh, the newsletter and we talked a little bit about it as well already about, um, the different versions of the book you're currently working on. Um, I'm super curious how different each version is. Um,
1: oh yeah.
0: A lot. <laughs> like, so are you literally just like, you know what? I'm throwing this away. Let's start yep. over.
1: Yeah. Um, I think at some other point I've said, I usually keep um, about 10%. of Wow. Each draft. Yeah. So I generate an awful lot of pages and um, I don't keep most of it because that's sort of how long it takes to, Figure out what I'm pulling from, trim the fat, and figure out where the, the heart of the story is. So I would say I kept 10% of that junk draft. Add that to the 10% I'll probably keep from this. And then eventually it gets tighter and tighter as as drafts continue. And again, it's draft is a tricky term for me because um, rarely do I write complete drafts. They're, you know, partials. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of partials. So, um Yeah. So I again ev- everything I would call a draft I keep about ten percent of and then add
0: on. so has that always been the case for you, or is that something you you found as you went through book speculation and and life from other stars? Um,
1: that's usually the case for me, except in short fiction. Short fiction is a completely different part of my brain, so on the rare occasion that I do write it, it you know it doesn't change nearly as much it's a a more a more complete idea um but just the nature of working long form for me, it just takes a really long time to figure out where, um, where the heart of something is.
0: Right. So for, and feel free to tell me to buzz off here. Do you have a deadline for the for the new book?
1: No. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's so, that's fantastic. I mean,
1: of, it is. Um, a lot of people, if you consider yourself a career writer or a working writer, your goal is to have a multi-book contract. And that is awesome to know where your money is coming from and that there will be money. That's amazing. And if you can get on that train, do it. Yeah. Um, for me, I, am, I, I don't work that way. And my books are all um, very different. Like, this one is very different from Light from Other Stars, which is very different from Folk of Speculation. So it would be, um, I think it would be a lot for a publishing house to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll buy three from you, sight unseen, for the other two. And um, knowing that they'll probably all be wildly different, that would be, I wouldn't buy me. Yeah. <laughs> <So>, um... <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not on deadline, which is nice because this one is, you know, again, I'm allowed to take the time with it. I'm in communication with my agent. She knows what I'm up to. She's seen parts of it and, you know, just kind of gently checks in with me. Um, we have a great relationship in the sense that, um, she knows, I know when to leave her alone and she knows when to leave me alone and we like each other. (laughs) Yeah, She's um, very editorial too, which is great. She's, um, I, you know the the beta reader of everyone's dreams um wow. michelle brower of trellis literary and you've probably just heard of her because hell of a book won the national oh, Book award that... jason mott is her client and they're the best and by the way i cannot recommend that book highly enough.
0: i He's literally was just comment. looking at the the winners of the, the national book awards yeah. before we started recording and i was like damn i need to read that
1: So yeah, Michelle is like Michelle is a dream agent. Um, She's someone who thinks in the career sense, not just in the, you know, how do I sell this thing sense. It's it's no, you are a writer. This is a career, and you know, she's it's it's a relationship that feeds, which is very nice.
0: Well, I appreciate you answering that. I I feel like that's one of the things. There, are, you know, there are multiple things within the world of writing and especially publishing novels and, and fiction in any way where people sort of talk around, and I think that's awesome of you to say all of those things.
1: Oh, thank you. Um,
0: so, yeah, so I'm sort of back to the 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 ulti- the different drafts, um, and specifically one thing in your newsletter I'm super uh, interested in. You said, "Be ready for a diatribe." <laughs> And I want to invite you, you know, diatribe freely about point of view. Oh, point
1: of view. Tenses.
0: Oh, God. Um, there's one. I um, So Michael Shaben, he wrote Yiddish Policeman's Union twice. Yeah. He was talking. I saw him online one time where he was like, yeah, I wrote it in first person. Then I threw it away and I rewrote it in third person. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Because that's that seems crazy to me because I'm not that type of writer. Like my drafts end up being somewhat similar. It's I'm also a slow writer, but to throw it all like for when you said you, you keep 10% um, to me, like that's mind blowing. Um, But that's based on my per my own uh, preferences. So point of view, knowing like, are you literally rewriting a draft where you're like, okay, this one I'm going to do first person
1: um sometimes sometimes it's like that um for this project so um well also some people have real attachments to certain POVs yeah. and other people th- and detest others i've heard people say they will never read present tense they will never read first person present tense um half of my first book is in first person present tense which um I remember switching, I I wrote a lot in past tense, and I I tried to find something to make that present tense much more, that the present day storyline much more immediate. Right. And that felt like, oh, well, clearly you do it in present tense then. And we're so used to reading in past tense that it just kind of goes away and we don't think about it. So to write in present tense felt like verbal gymnastics. Right. But it felt it was really important. And it did make that um, incredibly, it it made it much more immediate. And it allowed me to think about, well, okay, well, what does this character know? It allowed me to remove that sort of omniscient narrator we have when we write in past tense. So um, yeah, that was really important there. And with this book of I'm writing a, the only way I can describe it is I, I like a plural narrator for the first time oh wow which is um difficult and and requiring a lot of thought but I settled on that um I want to say three attempts at this voice in and um you know I'm very intentionally playing with past and present then so I have Issues with people who refuse to try other tenses, try other narrative points of views, because each of these is part of your toolkit. Um, Omniscient people think always is this godlike voice, but I like to sit it on someone's shoulder. Right. Because it allows you to to be with them without necessarily having to be in them. Right. (laughs) It allows a reader an insight that the character doesn't have. So I am for, you know, third person close, any chance you can get. A love present tense because it gives you so much narrative control about what you reveal when, without feeling like you're cheating a reader. So again, I, I, the diatribe <laughs> right, can go on forever, but um, yeah, I I routinely write rewrite things with different points of view um, and different tenses just to see what reads the best what feels the most natural and what makes me go on for you know two thousand words at a clip
0: yeah and all those all that stuff is tied into to character and the narrative it it all affects everything
1: yeah i love um i love when a point of view changes and progresses with the character right i think that is something that people tend to overlook like if you start one way you don't have to end the same way you just have to justify getting there
0: do you (laughs) have a, a good example of something that does that
1: off the top of my head, no. <laughs> but, um, I think you see it a lot in in spec fic, yeah. Um, just because you know characters change so wildly for lots of different reasons, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good a good place to look at. Uh, you don't necessarily find it a lot in um, the hyper in, in hyper realism for a lot of reasons, right? And so you know, again, it's just about stretching what you're reading,
0: right? So was um was the book of speculation. The first novel that you wrote, or did you write before had yeah. you finished them before then any before then?
1: no, it was my first novel i'm I'm a well actually no, it wasn't gosh, I always forget about this i um I wrote a novel. This is hilarious. Um, it is under a pseudonym, and no one will ever find it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I wrote a novel uh, for a write for hire contract that was, um, ha, this is hilarious, um, feminist erotica, and it was Western. And um, I have no knowledge. I'm I'm a pure East Coaster and have absolutely no knowledge of Texas or the the Old West in any way, shape, or form. But um, I, it was a right for hire gig, and I wrote. An eighty thousand word uh, soft core, as they call it, erotica, <laughs> um, in three months.
0: Wow, that's, I mean, that, that sounds fun.
1: First. it was it was fun. It was a crazy time. Um, I, you know, I I kn- I know that I can work very quickly and very hard if I have to, um, and I know I never want to work that way again. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wrote um, an essay about it for um, David Abrams' uh, blog called The Quivering Pen. And so that's there. It was a really strange process. So, Book of Speculation is technically my second novel, but is the only the first one under my name. And I'm very lucky in that I don't have a desk drawer novel. Um, so far, every th- every book I've finished has been published. Yeah. Question mark. Fingers are always crossed, but um, yeah. But it took me again, like I want to say, like ten to twelve years to write because I was trying to figure out how I write a novel and. You know, and it, it that involved a lot of failure and a lot of not knowing what I was doing. Right. <laughs> so, it took a long time.
0: So uh, you've so you've been writing basically since you could. Then I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I always wrote a lot as a kid, and um, when I, I went to theater school of all places, and um, a very strange program called the experimental theater the experimental theater studio in um, in a to school of the arts at NYU. Experimental theater wing. That's it. That's where I was. Um, and they focused a lot on performance art and, and self, what they call self scripting, which is essentially playwriting for yourself. So I left that program. I would call myself a playwright at that point in time. And that kind of led into, um, short fiction and novels.
0: That's awesome. So do you have, have you written any plays?
1: I have, um, my first, my first play, uh, it got an honorable mention from the Jane Chambers Award. It was called Bones and it's a one-act play about um, – speculative play about Amelia Earhart and what happened to her. And um, also Lindbergh and a lot of the golden age of flight was in there. So That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun.
0: I saw in your newsletter – I keep going back to the newsletter. There were so many things in it where I was like, oh, I didn't need to ask about that. Um, you <laughs> mentioned uh, another essay on Lit Hub about um, – his name just Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movies. Oh yeah. And all of them seem very much to be in love with stage plays yes,
1: in one way or another. That is so much why I love Wes Anderson films, because there is a real um and I know he's of course problematic everyone is sure. there's an unbearable whiteness to his movies. Yeah. But um I think also Weirdly enough, I think he is in dialogue with that. Part of the restrained quality in his movies isn't just the stagecraft and those little miniatures that are, you know, that call so much to theater, but it is these very white worlds, which everyone is dying in, right. <laughs> you know, they're all very frustrated. There's not a single truly happy person in a Wes Anderson movie. And that's um, as, as melancholy and, and, and beautiful and beautiful pastel as they are, everyone is suffering quite a lot. Right. And I think um, you can't look at that without it also being in dialogue with, with whiteness and they're being constrained by their very beautiful constraints.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the stage play aspect of, I mean, there's always at least a stage play he writes into something he's doing, but then you, as he's moved further on into these, these newer films, you see the, the sets become even more, yes built
1: my favorite set that way is um from the life aquatic when they pull back oh gosh the ship the ship yeah everybody moving through oh yes that's that's stagecraft that's a dollhouse at the same time you know um and so you get that that idea of play but also that it is constraining it's a very tiny world so i love it
0: yeah it's i do too and there's a lot of uh, really awesome stuff like that in the newest one and french dispatch uh which i actually got to go see and it's it does uh sort of confront whiteness and um, there's a character uh, played Good. by Jeffrey Wright where he he is essentially um, talking about the, you know, race relations in some ways because he's based mm-hmm. on James Baldwin. So
1: yeah, very interesting. I think I'm a friend of mine um, had seen it and said it's sort of a love letter to journalism. And so she was bawling. <laughs> was like, okay, I'm, I'm down. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. is.
0: And it, I mean, it's essentially three short films. Uh, so it's It's very interesting because, you know, you're used to a a little bit more of a cohesive narrative from his stuff, but I I liked it. I know I'll I'll rewatch it again and get more from it on on those subsequent rewatches.
1: I love that. I'm excited if he's diving into more fragmented things. As you can probably tell, I love fragmented things. Um, I like nonlinear stuff. I like stuff that um, touches, but doesn't necessarily, you know, converge into a line. So. Yeah.
0: So do you that's, think that's for me. do you think that drives all of your writing? Uh, very much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I have an obsessive need to think about story from every angle. And so um I have a I don't know, I now that I'm saying this I probably will write one. I don't know that I could ever tell a story from a single character point of view. Yeah. Without at least pulling back to, you know, here's what's going on in the city. Here's what's going on in a town. Because um, a single point of view to me always feels incomplete. I'm sort of, hmm. um, when I'm looking for, you know, what happened in any situation, there, I, I need multiple perspectives to get at some sort of idea of what quote unquote truth is. Oh, God, this sounds gross.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I understand what you mean, though.
1: Yeah, it's like, eh, I sort of think of, as as we're trying to, you know, get a better look at history now, what's made our, our, how we teach history in the U.S. so terrible is that we only ever had one point of view. And so we weren't really getting any sort of actual record of events. To get any idea of what happened in any given situation, you need multiple views. And so I, I view story the same way. You know, it's not a complete incident unless you're able to look at it from at least one other angle. So, um, you know, and that's where linear story sometimes fails us because it tends to squish into just one point of view. Um, and I think that's where, for me, a solid first person all the time, straightway, straight the way through, um, fails for me. So, yeah, story always has to have these different, these different ideas that, that intersect but don't necessarily join
0: so do you think that affects you as a reader can you read just single narrative straightforward one person or does that does it bother you
1: i, I can but it, it feels stifling sometimes um you know i think that's a lot of the times why I, I have trouble connecting with a lot of earlier 20th century work is because it was a lot of it was very in love with the with that one point of view right um but i feel like um You know, I can appreciate it as something that I don't do or can't do. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I think um, it it happens a lot in in genre, um, especially with, um, you know, with thrillers that tend to stick heavily to one point of view. And if I know I'm reading for that and reading for that trope and to to be confined for a reason, I'm okay with it.
0: So, you
1: know, it, it depends on the circumstance. But for me, writing, I am fairly unable to do that
0: yeah so the i mean the other thing it made me think of immediately is is video games do you do you oh yeah do you play video games or in yes what do you play <laughs> what do you play
1: um oh gosh i play a lot of things um so my favorite over the years is the assassin's creed yes series has been a favorite um my favorite video game of all time is bioshock infinite yeah which is quite old now but um i felt it was saying a lot of interesting things about player choice, railed games choice in the world um, that it was, I hate to use the word meta right now, but um, it was very meta in a way that I was not used to seeing in games. And I think it was the best of the franchise by a long shot. So that is a favorite of mine still remains favorite. Um, (laughs) You know, I'll play a lot of, I'll play a lot of shooters, things like that. Um, Like, I played Destiny for
0: a long time. Oh gosh, yeah, me too. So,
1: you know, a um, nice escape to a mindless alien mindless alien worlds with backstory that creeps in. Um so yeah, I'm, I game.
0: Have you played <laughs> I um...
1: have Dungeons and Dragons going right now? I oh really? A game that, yeah, I have a tabletop game or online now that I play with friends every week.
0: That's awesome. Have you um have you played Deathloop?
1: I have not played Deathloop.
0: I feel like based on a lot of things that you just said, you would,
1: would be it for adore okay.
0: Deathloop. Yes. I, I'm
1: coming away with so many suggestions. This is
0: excellent. I played it. Um, oh, gosh. What was it? It was like two or three months ago. And I tend to play games really slowly. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've still never beat The Witcher 3. Um, I just I get so tied up in exploring and, and like running oh, around. Yeah.
1: And games are so large now that you can't it's impossible to be a completionist right. unless you're playing for five years.
0: Right, so. right. Yeah. So some of those games I'm just like, I'm never gonna finish this. But Deathloop yep. it has a very specific story it's telling you. Mm-hmm. But it is I, I, I don't wanna say too much because I, I really think that you would dig it. It's it's pretty awesome.
1: Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, I get that. I feel like games got so big. The last Dragon Age I played, I was like, okay, well, I'm never finishing this. I'll just pick this up when it. Yep, out.
0: me too. I got to that same point where I'm like, yeah, there's just so much stuff to do. Not gonna, yeah, not you're gonna like finish.
1: Ten hours into gameplay, and then you get the opening credits. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So uh, wrapping up, um, got a few kind of questions just here to to end things. Um, one thing I'm really interested in with with writers is things that you do to help yourself when you feel stuck. Uh, What do you do if you feel like you're struggling to see the path forward, whether it's with um, literally just like a page or maybe you get to the middle of the story and you're like, gosh, I don't, I know where I need to get or where I want to get. I don't know how to go. Like, I don't know what to do. Are there things that you do consistently to kind of help jar yourself out of those situations or do you even have those situations?
1: Oh, I always have those situations. I would say more of my life is being, is having quote unquote writer's block than not. Right. <laughs> um, so I think, and there is a mentality for that people say a lot, which is right. Every day. Um, I don't follow that. I don't I either. That for me is I, for me, that doesn't work. It, it's unhealthy. Um, you know, and also forgiving myself for not writing every day is pretty okay. I'm oh, I'm for that as
0: well. I seriously cannot I wanna clap <laughs> everything you just said. It, I, mean, I struggle with that so much.
1: It's a different type of job. It is a job, but it's different. And and we have to embrace those differences. Right. Um so when I when I am well and truly stuck, I have to embrace the idea that I'm going to generate absolute shit. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, and it, most of it, hey, I'm. It might not even be editable. That's fine. You know, as long as it having something to throw out is better than having nothing at all. Right. So I will use the Pomodoro method if I am completely stuck. I don't know what that is. Um, it's basically it, you can. There are free apps for it all over the place. Um, you set um, you set um, a timer for 25 minutes, and then five minutes break to focus, then 25 minutes again. And my job will be to sit down for 25 minutes and either type nothing, type anything, anything at all, um, and then take a break. And usually that kind of clears out the cobwebs a little bit. So, um, that's helpful when I'm, when I know that I need to write, but it's just not coming. Um, that's, that's a definite focus aid. Um, sometimes finding a sentence that you like to play with that has absolutely nothing to do with what you're working on is really helpful. Um, I had one that I used for a really long time. Um, it was like, Charlie, I just can't stand looking at your face anymore. That has nothing to do with anything I'm working on, but I can usually get a rant going after that. Yeah. And I don't know a Charlie, nothing, but, um, if I can get into a rant space, then I can usually get back to fiction and, and make some words that stink for a while. Yeah. So, uh, there's that. But yeah, I think um, going for a walk is always helpful. Yes. Doing dishes is really helpful. Anything that keeps your body busy so that your mind can play is, is useful. And again, like forgiveness. Yep. Super key. Um, don't listen to anyone who generates 5,000 words a day. They have a brain that doesn't work like you. Right. Congratulations for both of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: You know, um, and, and also as much as I've said, all of these things, try them. And if they don't work, it's not your fault.
0: <laughs> right. No. Yeah. I'll, I think yeah. forgiveness, man, that's a big one. Just mm-hmm. being willing to be like, it's okay. Like, yeah. it's okay that this thing's not working this way for me. I struggled with that for a long time. Um, and I finally got to a place where I was like, you know what? I'm not the kind of writer that I thought I was going to be when I was younger and that's fine.
1: Yeah. We have a real false emphasis on productivity in um, in the literary arts, where we do want you know a book a year, and oh, I'm waiting on so and so to finish this book, right. blah, blah blah blah. And um, that's that's it's nice to have people that want more work out of you, but uh, that impulse is you grossly driven by capitalism. Maybe. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. Um, that's not on you. I, I used to think, oh, you know, I could do a book a year. And, and I think, no, a lot of the writers that, you know, we, we used to expect five books out of someone in a lifetime. Right. And that was considered a good body of work and you could get their range across a lifetime. And I think that might be where I'm at. And that's awesome. Right. <laughs> See, <laughs> you know? and
0: I'm when I found those things for myself, like... I'm someone who I deal with anxiety and depression um, and mm-hmm. I, I try to be super public about it and talk to people about it realistically. And when I got to a point where I was like, I know for a fact that I won't be happy trying to write a certain point past what I am cr- like capable of doing. That's part of it. Like I know what I need to be healthy right. and to not focus on something that I'm not capable of doing. Um, it's a big deal.
1: I mean, writers love to complain because complaining is delicious.
0: It's amazing. It's well, it's, it's just, just so, so much fun. <laughs>
1: misery, it's, it's so great. But if your writing is torturing you, if it, if it is, you know, if your writing is harming you and trying to write every day and be super productive is harming you, you should not be doing right. it. You know, if you went to another job that was harming you, you know, any in any other way, you would try your damnedest to find another or you would quit. Yep. And to try and apply that sort of suffer through it for art, be productive mentality to something you're supposed to be enjoying. Right. You know, it doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> Don't let your writing harm you. And if you need breaks and you need to be blocked for a while, sometimes you do need to be blocked. Yep. That's okay.
0: Yeah. I, literally, like, what it's not going to harm you to not mm-hmm. write which uh, is a scary thing to say sometimes but right. like it's not
1: right it's also and as scary as it is it's also uh, you know if a draft isn't working and you have to throw the whole thing out and start again on something else that feels so big and scary but it might be the best choice it might be the most freeing thing that you can do so you know it's it's difficult, I think, to give up this super productive mentality that we, we must write all the time and we must do a book a year to have value. It's hard to give that up, but I think it's also necessary to have a, a fulfilling creative life.
0: I agree. I think so, too. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on uh, to chat. Um, if you want to let everyone re- uh, know really quickly where they can find you online, um, sure. that way they can, they can seek your stuff out.
1: Okay. I am all over Twitter all the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> I am at Erica Swyler. Um, I am also on Instagram at, at sea city sky. And you can find links to all of my other stuff through there. I do one of those link tree things. You can click and read as much or little of me as you want. And I am at Erica com.
0: Excellent. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was fantastic talking to you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much again to Erica Swyler for stopping by. Uh, Like I said in the intro, it was a privilege to chat with her and a ton of fun. Make sure you go to ericaswyler.com and check out her stuff and keep your eyes open for anything new regarding her forthcoming book and go subscribe to her newsletter while you're at it. It's on her website as well. Stay tuned for more announcements for who I'm going to be chatting with in the future. Uh, If you have any questions, swing by Austin R. Wilson. Dot com or my Twitter account, which is Austin R. Wilson, or the official Twitter account for the uh, podcast, which is Ledger Books. Mostly that's just going to be updates about the show and some, you know, industry related stuff. I, I mainly tweet from my Austin R. Wilson account. So thanks so much for listening. And yeah, come back next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs>